0: Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, U.S. Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me as always is my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford.
1: Hello, Kat. Um, I don't know how you're standing up, frankly. It's the end of GDC, and I'm feeling it, so you must be feeling it twice as hard.
0: I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm not actually Mm -hmm. standing up. I'm sitting down right now, so it's totally okay.
1: (laughs) Okay, you deserve it. We'll let you sit this one time.
0: And if I pretend to be really energetic, I can pretend that I'm not actually going about to keel over.
1: <laughs> if there's suddenly dead air, people, you'll know why.
0: It's been a pretty crazy week, actually. Uh, there's a lot to cover in terms of the RPG space, and it's actually kind of hard to process it all. So that's why my brain is feeling a little nuts right now.
1: Okay, well, I understand. I think we're all very understanding here today.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, because we've all been kind of running around. But I suppose I should ask you... What your thoughts are on Google Stadia?
1: Uh, well, uh, uh, it's a thing. Like, I wrote a uh, reaction it's a piece thing. To it, it is a thing. That it it is, is indeed a thing. Um, it is a thing in the cloud, in the great, great sky. I wrote a reaction piece to uh, the Stadia, and you can actually go back and read that now if you haven't. Uh, but my general thought is, well, it's a, it's a nice idea, but for whom, I don't know, because I certainly don't have the data for that. Um, I know that and if I don't have the data for it, then a huge portion of North America does not have the data for it, because there's just uh, a lot of places still in North America that has miserable, overpriced internet. And I'm hearing, I don't know how true this is, but I, I've heard that we're talking about, like, to stream, I don't know, let's say Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which they were going on about, you're looking at, like, 20 gigs per hour. That is nuts
0: yeah that's way too much and i think that unless you're based in a major metropolitan area you're not going to be able to accommodate this unless the isps out there come up with some kind of special plan where you're spending extra money to be able to get the the gaming package but in that case it's not going to be particularly worth it also the business model sounds pretty wonky and i don't know it doesn't seem like google's thought this all the way through
1: (laughs) no i really don't get that impression and something people pointed out that I didn't uh, start hearing until I finished my reaction piece is that you could see a close-up of someone, uh, the, d- the demo person playing uh, Assassin's Creed, and you can clearly see them hitting the button and the, per- the, the character on screen not reacting at all. So either we were being fed some sort of recording or uh, the response time is just that miserable. It did feel bad to
0: me. I tried it out when I was over at GDC and apparently it was plugged in through the Moscone Center internet mm-hmm. and feeding to a data center. I have no idea what Moscone Center's internet is, that's why I didn't like rip I didn't report on it. Right. But felt okay to me, at least in that kind of circumstance. And I know someone who actually participated in a very closed beta and got to play it at home and This was admittedly in San Francisco, and they Uh said that the experience was extremely good, and it made them kind of a believer. On the other hand, they also experienced interruptions. So take it what you will.
1: Yeah, uh, there is that. and There's also the matter of, well, um, some people, and I, I absolutely don't blame them, just don't aren't really big on the idea of streaming a game because they want to have something they can own. And that's already kind of a... We're in a gray area as it is with uh, so many digital games just disappearing. And, you know, what's what do you own when you stream a game? Do you own anything? Somebody made
0: a good point that when it came to something like Google Stadia, the second that there's even a little bit of an interruption, the second exactly. you hit a button and you go, what the F? Nothing is happening. Uh, screw this, I died because of this, mm-hmm. people will be out. I mean, people already go on Reddit and lose their goddamn mind over <laughs> the tiniest problem uh, with Hertz or frame rates or right. anything. Like they right. go berserk, YouTube channels, everything. And yeah, maybe that won't hit the regular casual audience, but maybe a regular casual audience will Google, is Google Stadia good And that we'll just get a torrent of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, again, Google's whole thing is, oh, this is for everybody except people without decent internet, I suppose, and even people with decent internet. Like, something I mentioned in my piece is that Canada, uh, our internet's in the hands of these horrible monopolies that just charge out the butt for for internet. And I don't know, I I started to think what they would want for 20 gigs an hour.
0: (laughs) The only thing I could think of it appealing to is as somebody who owns a you know i have a nice tv it's a 4k mm-hmm. tv i could totally see a scenario where i get decide to get a google stadia because i'm like hey 4k 60 fps i don't have a super high-end gaming pc so right. maybe this would be okay but right now the library isn't big enough and i'm too leery of interruptions so yes i don't really know who this is for
1: yeah yeah is,
0: it's going to happen regardless, and it's going to probably find a niche in the current gaming ecosystem, but if Google is hoping that this truly blows up into something gigantic, I think they might be kidding themselves.
1: Yeah, um, and uh, well, yeah, they did well with Google+, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> I was Boy. just reading a story the other day about
0: how they had Google Fiber in Louisville, and then they just totally pulled it out. Wow, really? And it really sucked because they had shallow cables... So, they were trying, they were experimenting with this idea of putting fiber like very uh, shallowly underneath the street, right? Right. And it just wasn't working. And so they just said, eh, screw it. We're pulling out of Louisville. And they ripped it all out. And it was a total disaster. And everybody was running out of, uh, everybody was losing their internet. And and Louisville's kind of pissed.
1: Yeah, I would be too. Um, That's why my brother's job is to bring fiber internet to uh, small town America. Uh, But um, even. He can't be everywhere. He he's like works on like you know, a few small towns at a time.
0: Yeah, uh, I th- I read a story just this week where Microsoft basically said America's internet infrastructure is even worse than we think.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. That's my
0: take on Google Stadia. Uh, I'd be interested to hear what your take is on Google Stadia, and you can do that by sending me an email at cat bailey at us gamer. Uh, Also, I'm on Twitter at the underscore capot, Nadia's at Nadia Oxford. You can find this podcast and all of the various podcatchers you like, like Spotify and Stitcher and all of that. And if you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review. And also subscribe to the newsletter of the Blood God, which comes out every Wednesday. Includes a nice little op-ed from one of the two of us You can find sign-up information over on the site. So things that we're going to talk about today, Nadia, we're going to talk about a big RPG that just got announced. We're going to talk about number two on the top 25 RPG list. We are so goddamn close to being done with this project.
1: I'm very excited. (laughs) You You sound very ready to be done. I am so ready to be
0: done and sleep for the entire weekend, except I'm not. I'm going to be podcasting all weekend because I'm a chump. Oh, who are you podcasting with? I'm gonna be podcasting with Retronauts. Oh boy. And then next week I am going to be uh pot I am gonna be at PAX East. So am I. Oh yeah, you totally are. I keep forgetting about that. I keep thinking <laughs> I'm gonna be at PAX East. Oh also Nadia and Mike will be at PAX East. That's exciting. And guess what? We're gonna have panels. We are. Yeah, we're gonna have we're gonna be playing the Dreamcast. You can come hang out with us and get free swag. I got this totally boss uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 collector's edition that I just want to give to somebody.
1: Oh, make sure you, eat. no, you should like just turn around and throw it back in the audience and see like a like a bouquet at a wedding and <laughs> see who catches it.
0: I imagine it'd be like piranhas. <laughs> oh,
1: that would be amazing.
0: Also, we got this really cool uh, Valkyria Chronicles collector's edition as well.
1: Oh, and- I'll take that.
0: And oh. the VG Twenty Four Seven folks are going to be on this panel as well, so they're going to get some stuff. So yeah, come to our come to our panel. I think it is on Friday night. Uh, yes, f- uh, fairly late actually, like nine PM. But it'll be a fun like just have some dinner, have some drinks, then come hang out with us while we play Dreamcast and celebrate the greatness of the Dreamcast. Yes, uh, other panels that include Mike is doing a Followed Seventy Six panel. And he is also doing a panel about the chronology of Assassin's Creed. And Nadia is going to be on a panel about, uh, what was it? It was Retronauts. It was Holly Weird or something like that. Yeah,
1: like weird game movies. Holly Bad. Holly Bad. <laughs> Very Holly Bad.
0: Holly Bad. Okay. But first, Nadia, really quickly, uh, it's the 20, 30th? 30th anniversary 30th. of Fantasy Star 2 this past week as of the recording of this episode. Uh, to celebrate, you
1: wrote a retro review of Fantasy Star 2 really quickly, Nadia. Does it hold up? Um, I want to say yes, but uh, in some ways yes, in some ways no. I find that the the story and the characters and the setting for Fantasy for Star 2, and just Fantasy Star in general, is just really ahead of its time. It was out there telling like, this really interesting sci-fi, uh, this connected sci-fi universe uh, and a story within it. Uh, when everyone else was kind of giving you the, these like really bare bones plots about princesses and dragons. Um, I love the, the artwork. I love the characters. I like the designs. I like the graphics, everything like that. But it's kind of a slog to play because, uh, there are a lot of random encounters as you might expect. That's one thing. But the problem is that those random encounters move really damn slow. And to make things worse, every time you're hit by an enemy in this game, uh the screen flashes red and i find that really really freaking annoying. Uh what i said in my review is i'd really love for uh for M2 who who was like in charge of the Sega Aegis, to to redo Fantasy Star 2 the way that they redid Fantasy Star 1. Well not really redid it, but kind of imbued it with different um with some things to uh, help make it a little less painful like for example uh auto mapping. If i could have auto mapping in this game uh in fantasy star 2, oh my god, I'd be so much happier. I'd be happier without so many random encounters and all the other stuff that M2 brought to Fantasy Star. So really hoping for that to happen. And um if that happens, I can like give Fantasy Star 2 my my whole recommendation and say yes, this game totally holds up uh as it is now unless you you really are going into there prepared knowing that you are going to have random encounters out the booty. And you are going to be wandering, kind of lost in dungeons because you can't find your damn way. Go for it, because in a lot of ways, it's still a great game.
0: So, yeah, interestingly enough, Rea Kokodama, who was behind the Fantasy Star series, um, one of the the first lady of RPGs, the queen of RPGs, uh, she won a Pioneer Award at the Game Developers Choice oh. Awards this past week.
1: Oh, nice! That's really cool.
0: Yeah, she did a video uh, a video response on uh, at the Choice Awards, and it was really nice because in true japanese fashion she extremely downplayed her particular role and said it was all totally a team effort i couldn't (laughs) have done it without everybody else but thank you very much for this award and they were kind of going through her particular history and everything and talking about all of the amazing rpgs she's worked on over the years from fantasy star to skies of acadia so yeah congratulations to her
1: Absolutely. Very well-deserved. Um, one thing I still love about the original *Fantasy Star is, given the time it was released, you have this female heroine, and I, I still think that's really amazing.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty amazing. It was certainly amazing for the time. I'm glad that we live in an era where it's becoming less and less shocking to have a female heroine. hmm Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, continuing on. So, Nadia, over the past week, I got to go see... A sequel to another beloved RPG from the 2000s, actually. It came out in 2004. That's Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2, the sequel to Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, which uh, was number 22 on our top 25 Mm -hmm. RPG countdown. So I don't know. I don't think you were there for that particular chat, Nadia. But here are a few things that really set apart Vampire the Masquerade. And uh Vampire of the Masquerade Bloodlines was really good for a variety of reasons. It had amazing quest design, like really mm-hmm. really quest design some really memorable ones. And uh like particularly a haunted house uh, among other things. It had some really interesting perspectives on uh sex in particular uh and death. It had a interesting world to explore and I think the best thing about it was the fact that you could play across a variety of vampire clans, right? Mm-hmm. And whichever vampire clan you took dramatically influenced your your dialogue choices, uh, how you played the game. If you're a Nosferatu a vampire, you're limited to the sewers. It Ew. could be a, effectively an entirely different game. Right. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was especially cool for its time. And the people on the PC have done an amazing job of really keeping it relevant over the years. But of course, Mm -hmm. it's been 15 years since it came out. Uh, Even with all of the patches and everything, it can't really accommodate for the fact that the ending wasn't super great, the combat is still a little janky, so. Right. But here comes Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. It's being made by a company called Hardsuit Labs. One of the original developers, Brian Mitsoda, is involved with its development, which is very exciting. Uh, Mm -hmm. Obviously, Leonard Boyarsky cannot be involved because he's in the middle of working on The Outer Worlds for Private Division. So he's not involved, but Brian Metsoda is. Uh, Interestingly enough, former games journalist Kara Ellison is involved and she wrote a lot of really good stuff on RPS about Vampire the Masquerade and how it handled things like sex and that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. I would go recommend checking that out. And she is going to be in there and the uh the creative director of vampire the masquerade bloodlines 2 said we know the consequences of fucking this up so
1: (laughs) it's good to know someone knows that
0: so that tells you like that they they do take this really seriously yeah they seem very keen on producing a game that is faithful to the original it's going to be a little different in some ways. For example, in the original game, you answered a questionnaire, and it asked mm-hmm. you a, a bunch of strange questions, and then that determined the vampire clan that you started out with. Right. And this one's going to be a little different. In this one, you start out with three kind of more generalized skills, so you, you know, the uh-huh. ability to control bats, for example, or become cool. mist, or have telekinetic abilities. And then later on, you will be able to join one of the... Be one of the... In the... One of the vampire clans. Famously, one of the more interesting vampire clans was... Um, you want to say schizophrenic. hmm Yeah. So, things like you would have stop signs talking to you and everything. It, it was a really... It was really clever. But it also mm-hmm. kind of sparked a debate on the depictions of mental health in video games. Right. Yeah. Rather than just trying to make it one big joke maybe having a kind of a more empathetic uh, take on right. it.
1: Yeah, uh, I could see that being the case, yeah.
0: I asked Carl Allison about it, and she said, yeah, like, we've thought about this a whole heck of a lot, and we ha- definitely have some ideas about how we can kind of faithfully realize that while also being, you know, a little more sensitive about it. So it's, That's
1: good. Good to hear.
0: Yeah, it is good to hear, and I'm really interested to what they come up with. In the meantime, um, it... Definitely has a very similar vibe to the original Vampire the Masquerade. Instead of L.A., it's in Seattle now. Um, Mm. It starts very similarly to the original Vampire the Masquerade. In the original Vampire the Masquerade, you're a vampire who gets turned illegally. It's actually against the law to turn vampires unless there's special approval. And then there's a pretty close relationship between the sire and the person who gets turned. Well, you get turned in what's called a mass embrace, which is... Just a whole bunch of vampires show up and start biting people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And like, screw this, bite time. Like a buffet. And you wake up
0: in what amounts to a kangaroo court, and you're being interrogated, and they're going, yeah, we just want to find out who's behind this, and then we're going to execute you. Oh, Oh, everything's on fire now. Help, help, help. (laughs) And you escape, and now you're trying to kind of figure out, uh, you're trying to navigate vampire politics while also mm-hmm. kind of solving a, a variety of mysteries along the lines of who why were you turned and what's right. going on and why what is this war that is happening beneath the streets and in the meantime you must keep up the masquerade by uh if you just run up to somebody and bite the heck out of them you're you are responsible for a masquerade violation and yeah, yeah it's, it's cool that's pretty cool yeah it's neat it's very very strong on the role-playing and the text in particular mm-hmm. and i mean this game looks really good like from a graphic standpoint it looks excellent uh, it's very moody it seems to have a lot of role playing potential uh i told my housemates who are huge vast of the masquerade fans that it was coming out and they actually well they were extremely excited i'm just going to say that much <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you got the you got the inside scoop
0: See, Nadia, this is the kind of game that you should be playing because I you're you're into the supernatural thing,
1: right? Yeah, I actually I'm writing a thing about like, you know, vampires and werewolves. I can't help myself.
0: Yeah, you're a fucking vampire, right?
1: Oh yeah. Well, I'm never up during the day unless I can help it. Unless I, you know, can't help it.
0: Excuse my language, we're gonna get an explicit rating on this podcast,
1: huh? <laughs> Just drop the F word. You may as well at this point. It's because I'm tired. (laughs) That's okay. The the F word is always allowed, especially when you're tired.
0: But I'm surprised that you're not more into Vampire the Masquerade since it just seems to be very into your wheelhouse.
1: It probably is. But it it started as a PC uh, game, didn't it?
0: It did start out as a PC game and it has remained a PC game. But this one is coming
1: out on console. Yeah, that's true. So you see, if it's on console, then by all means, like I can I can latch onto that, especially if uh, it's the kind of game where I don't really have to be so familiar with the first one that I'd be confused in the second one.
0: Just, tis, tis, so biased against PCs.
1: No, I'm just biased against uh, paying a lot of money for good PCs. <laughs> I am not. I am biased for paying a lot of
0: money to get a good PC because it is the ultimate gaming experience. It's not really. I don't care. I'm I playing on a freaking uh, Nintendo 3DS. I don't care. <laughs>
1: What are you playing on 3DS?
0: I don't know. I'm going to play, oh, Persona <laughs> Q2.
1: Oh, I'd like to play that. I, I'm looking forward to that.
0: I'm looking forward to playing Persona Q2 as well. And I think that's probably going to be the last 3DS game I ever play.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Poor 3DS. Darkest of us days. Well. Yes. It really
0: but. is. So yeah, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 is coming out in early 2020. Uh, Mm. I mean, it made an extremely good first impression. It's being published by Paradox. Interestingly, Paradox, they are really making a big push to try and get into more of that kind of blockbuster AAA space. Right. By kind of buying up undervalued franchises. And I think Vampire the Masquerade is definitely a case. I was uh, talking to a friend the other night about playing the World of Darkness MMORPG that Mm -hmm. CCP Games was working on. And apparently you said it was the worst piece of crap he had ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Yeah, no, it's it was really dark. And it was eventually captured. Uh, it was eventually canceled. So, Right. Yeah. Anyway, so, okay, Nadia, it's time to move on to the next segment, which is the top 25 RPG countdown number two, Planescape Torment. Okay, Nadia. Number 2 in our top 25 RPG countdown. is number 2 on our list. We are almost done, and that is Planescape Torment, which was a DD and d game originally developed by Black Isle Studios in 1999 for the wow. PC, and it was released and nobody played it, Nadia. Really? It was a it was a flop? It was a bit of a flop because it wasn't particularly well marketed. You may uh, notice that there's a big, ugly
1: blue face
0: on the box, and nobody really understands
1: it. Oh yes, the um, the ugly dude, who's a who's main character, isn't he?
0: Yes, I think yes, he is the main character. Yes, and it was a game that uh, it was really interesting. So it looked a lot like Baldur's Gate 2. It was right. based on, I believe, on the Infinity Engine, and they so it's an isometric type RPG, and it's really at the height of of mm-hmm. a the golden age of RPGs uh, that Rowan Kaiser was talking about a few episodes ago, in which we got Fallout, we got Baldur's Gate 2, we got Planescape Torment, we got Neverwinter Nights, right? This was yeah. just an incredible time with Bioware and Black Isle Studios and, frankly, Squaresoft also all- firing on all cylinders, right? It was so great.
1: Yeah, it was definitely an interesting time for RPGs, like uh, for Western as well as Eastern.
0: Yeah, I think we've touched on this a few times before, but uh, this was just a period in which multiple amazing studios became very comfortable with the technology at their disposal and Mm -hmm. found out ways to push them to new limits. And because the technology was becoming more and more advanced at that time, uh, developers who had always worked with kind of simpler 8-bit techniques and everything were really excited to be able to tell much more elaborate stories. And so you had studios like Black Isle, like BioWare, Mm -hmm. uh, like Square, and others that were pushing the limits of what were possible. And while Black's Planescape Torment wasn't the most beautiful RPG of the time... I mean, it looked fine for 1999, does not hold up very well graphically today. It does have a really interesting story.
1: Yeah, it has uh, something like, God, like 800,000 lines of text or something crazy like that.
0: Yeah, that is completely ridiculous. I can't even imagine (laughs) writing that many lines of text. Oh, I should mention, okay, so this is an aside. So I was at we were at GDC this past week, right? Mm-hmm. I went to the the Divinity Original Sin two uh, panel, okay, mm-hmm. and they talked about all of the trouble that they were having with that game, mainly with the story, because the process for producing a story that they had was kind of insane. Actually, they were doing things like so they had four studios around the world, and they were mm-hmm. trying to develop all of the acts in concurrent uh, concurrently, oh, and dear. they would pass around so they would need to be doing the editing but there were time zone differences and so there were oh. giant bottlenecks where they weren't be able to, weren't able to get to the <laughs> the editing fast enough and right. so all of the work was piling up and then the QA was breaking and then the voiceovers were breaking <laughs> oh, no yeah and then even worse they had like this massive story document where they were trying to figure everything out and they just uh-huh. Everybody was just kind of
1: throwing notes on there, and they were just what, trying to address like, the
0: notes. And I'm like, huh, how did you guys not have an editing process?
1: Well, it sounds like the uh, like the video game equivalent of that episode of I Love Lucy with the the chocolate factory or whatever the pie the bakery where everything's just coming down the conveyor belt, and they're just you know overwhelmed within seconds.
0: They were also afraid of uh, Middle Earth Shadow of War, which is a little funny in hindsight. But I mean, it I kind guess. I can kind of understand why they might have been kind of nervous about that, but it turned out well for them. Uh, yeah, Divinity Original Sin 2 is perhaps better known for its co-op play and its combat than its mm-hmm. story. I mean, you could you you could argue with me on that. I think Planescape Torment is 100% known for its story. It, it On the sliding scale of story right. versus gameplay systems, in which perhaps Darkest Dungeon is on one end, or Etrian Odyssey is on one end, mm-hmm. and uh, then Planescape Torment is 100% on the opposite end. This game is all about the text, it's all about the dialogue trees, right. and the combat is extremely minimal, to the point where it is almost an interactive visual novel. Not I was about w-
1: to say, yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? Like, Does that appeal to you personally? Uh, it does. I've always been a kind of person who, who likes visual novels, but the, the subject matter has to be very interesting to me for me to really stick with it. And from, uh, uh, basically what I know of the game, since unfortunately I didn't get to play it, because again, we're talking about a computer RPG. Yeah, it just, uh, I feel like, uh, it, just the, some of the, uh, the moments I've, I've read about and heard about, uh, are very, uh, compelling because they're just, uh, there's a lot of decision in this game. There's a lot of, uh, a story branches that are based on uh, your alignment, because of course this is at its heart a D and D game, and uh, I just think that's uh, it, it has a certain complexity that does appeal to me.
0: Yeah, I think the main difference to an, a visual novel, say, and an RPG is the ability to customize your character. And uh-huh. I mean, there's not a whole heck of a lot of character customization. Stuff like gear is pretty is pretty downplayed. I would say that the main RPG thing is the way that it handles stats and mm-hmm. building up and also your alignments, whether you're good or you're evil, right. and how you build up your various stats, like wisdom and that kind of thing.
1: Uh, and another reason um, that the game seems, is, is pretty compelling to me is that it starts with a very strong mystery, and I'm someone who can't resist uh, a really good like a story that starts off with, why the hell am I here? And you have to work backwards from there. I, I just love stories that do that and keep you interested for as long as possible. And yet, it's
0: it starts out with perhaps the horriest of RPG tropes. It's an amnesia story.
1: Yeah, but it's it's a <laughs> even like tropes can be good if they're done well. Yes, tropes are not bad. Exactly, exactly. As long one hundred percent here for that.
0: As long as the trope is well executed, it is good. Yes. So yes. obviously, Planescape Torment came out in nineteen ninety nine roundly ignored i mean this was a period in which uh pc games were starting to change a little bit um we were starting to get into more powerful consoles people this was one of the early rounds of people saying pc is dead long live oh, console i remember those
1: days yes
0: yeah like in a couple of years after planescape torment came out the xbox came out and people were like oh the xbox can do everything a pc can <laughs> yeah so that went a thing but it, Planescape Torment managed to have a great legacy, mostly because a bunch of nerds decided that it was an amazing game and that they were going to proselytize it to the heavens. For example, uh, Heather Alexandra Kotaku called it the greatest game ever made. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, she did. I do not agree with her. <laughs> but you do, it, you do say it is the second best RPG ever made.
0: I do. I have a healthy amount of respect for this game because it is perhaps the best written game ever made. And mm. when I say it is best written, I mean that it really delves into psychological and philosophical quandaries. It makes mm-hmm. you feel the full weight of your decisions in your actions. And at the end of the game, when you finish it all up, you don't really necessarily feel great, but it does make you have to sit back and really think about everything that happened, right? Right. There right. isn't really and- a happy ending in this game. Because <laughs> this is the kind of game where you can be delivering a box to somebody, and all of a sudden you find yourself in a giant war between two factions, <laughs> and you're just trying to figure out how to deliver the damn box. Yeah. I have a box here. Can someone take the damn Hello? box? Oh, God. No. Why am I being drawn into these factions? Ah. <laughs> I just have a pizza. I got to deliver it. But there are a lot of different ways to approach it. And a lot of it has to do with the, with your actions. And one of the things that people like to talk about with this game is that, okay, so in a lot of RPGs, right? There's evil, but it's kind of silly evil, right? Yeah. Cartoony evil. Cartoony evil. I I suppose in a game like mass effect, I wouldn't exactly say it's moral decisions are simple. For example, uh, one of the more famous ones from the original Mass Effect is what to do with the who mm-hmm. were kind of overwhelming the universe. Then, uh, and they're being, you thought they were dead, but they're being brought back. And you can be like, okay, well, I don't think these things should come back. Or, but, you know, maybe they should deserve a chance of redemption on the other hand. And mm-hmm. it's kind of a Rorschach test of what do you want to do? Oh, how do you think? How do you feel about redemption? How do you feel like about second chances? Uh, right? Are there some things that you just should, should just that are just unforgivable? Other games are just like, oh, I'm running around and I'm being lol evil. <laughs> yes, I am just tormenting somebody. I, I'm being hilariously bad, right? I'm yeah I'm twirling my mustache, and plenty of RPGs are like that. In this game. You, okay, so here's one of the more famous examples, right? And by the Mm -hmm. way, this is the part where I start to get more into spoiler territory. So if you're really concerned about spoilers for this particular RPG, you might want to stop. But I want to be able to have a, a real conversation about this. So just so you know. Okay, continuing on. One of the things is you are a character called the Nameless One. And as it turns out, you're immortal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, not it so great. I, I don't think I really want to be. I, I I thought I wanted to be immortal once. I don't think I really want to be no. immortal now. Kind of sucks. No thanks. No thank you. And not only that, you became immortal because you kind of wanted to be avoided drafting and drafted into the war of kind of the heavens between the demons and the devils.
1: <laughs> uh huh. Well, not exactly a great compromise.
0: Yeah. No. So you just are continuously being reincarnated in different forms all with different personalities and things. And one of them is called the Practical Incarnation, okay? And the Practical mm-hmm. Incarnation is a real dick. <laughs> <laughs> practical people sometimes are. It's not cool. So this Practical Incarnation is a total psychopath. And what they did was they got a woman to fall in love with them. Uh-huh. And they did it for the cynical reason of they were on a quest and they figured that if they did not fulfill the quest. They wanted this woman to serve as a guide for all of their future incarnations and Oof. be able to help them on their way. So they essentially chained this woman to a plane of existence and put her, uh, made her believe that she was in love with him. Chained her to this plane of existence, and she is still longing for him and hoping for a reunion. It's not great. This guy wow. is a total jerk and what a dick. If you are evil enough, you can make her think that you have fallen in love with her all over again and then screw over all over again.
1: <laughs> oh, man, that's uh, that's quite dickish.
0: Yeah, it's really quite amazing. There's also something called a pillar of skulls,
1: Nadia. Uh, oh, that sounds really uh, happy. It sounds like something you base a daycare around. You can
0: totally feed your companions to it. <laughs>
1: Oh no! Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, it's pretty
0: amazing. I'm making this sound cartoonishly evil, but uh, there are so many opportunities to just be being evil in this game. Is not, ha ha, I'm evil. It's cruel. It's just pure it's cruelty. horrifying. Yeah, you are awful. <laughs> you are. You have a. You have a person who is bound to do charity, and because mm-hmm. they're magically bound to do charity. You can just take all of their most treasured possessions and they're like, oh, I have to give these to you. <laughs> I feel okay. crappy. And you're like, give them. Come on. Come on.
1: Wow. That's a, that's pretty bad.
0: You can bind people okay. in eternal torment. You're, if you really want to go all out, you can just be horrendous in this game.
1: You know what this reminds me of, and uh, this is going to be a little bit nerdy, but we are talking about Dungeons and & Dragons, and it's the same universe. Uh, it sounds a lot like Raceland from Dragonlands, who has a lot of the same traits going on. Tell me a little bit about this thing. Uh, basically, uh, Dragonlands has several series, but it's Dragonlands Legends that I have uh, in mind in particular here, where this uh, Raceland who is like, you know, the kind of emo uh, wizard everyone fell in love with, uh he in Dragonlance Legends he uses everybody. He uses his brother. He actually does make a woman fall in love with him so that she he can take her down to the plane of the abyss, the plane of like torment and you know use her holy protection to to help him to try to, to to slay the queen of darkness. He's just a guy who uses everyone and everything and even though there is some redemption at the end of the the trilogy, the Dragonlance Legends trilogy, it's just um he's just Sounds very much like the uh, practical incarnation of the Evil One here. Or, sorry, the Eternal One.
0: The Practical One. Yes. The Practical One is a great name, I might add. <laughs> I am practical. I am extremely practical. But th- This game was primarily written by Chris Avalone, and apparently he started to think about Planescape Torment when he was writing Fallout 2, because he was writing them more or less concurrently, and he was thinking a lot about... Uh, the nature of moral decisions and everything, and he it really mm-hmm. drove him crazy how binary it was, how simplistic yes. the moral choices were. And so he he really went out of his way to put a lot of gray area in there to right. kind of meditate on the nature of good and the nature of evil, as it were, and to really try and put in as many layers as he possibly could. Uh, interestingly enough, so... You reincarnate, right? Uh Uh-huh. But every time you reincarnate, death takes another soul and uses that to balance the scales. Oh, that's mean. And so there are these tormented souls who exist as people who just unfortunately uh, had their souls taken. It kind of sucks. But there are things like you can kill yourself to fulfill a quest, right? Uh Uh-huh. It's like there's a lady who wants to murder someone. You can kill yourself. You'll get a thousand
1: copper. Well, good news. Somebody <laughs> just had their soul stolen because you're a dick. Oh man! Like, so are the tormented souls like just kind of kept there because cause of you? Yeah, well, it's death balancing the scales, right? Because it's you. Well, why why can't he? They just, they just move on, like somewhere else. I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> death says so. I guess death says so. <laughs> Death's an asshole. Yeah. Uh, the hero,
0: the kid, the companions are really interesting. So there's a, a suit of armor. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they will only join your team if you lie to them about who your character really is. <laughs> uh, there's a wizard who likes setting things on fire.
1: Yeah, they they tend to like that.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a succubus healer who runs a brothel, uh, but it's it's an interesting brothel. There there are a lot of interesting characters in this game, and you can really f with them if you really want to.
1: So the the uh, the succubus is a. Uh... She runs, like, not just a a regular brothel, she runs an interesting brothel.
0: (laughs) Yes. As opposed to a boring
1: brothel, right? According
0: to a boring one. Uh, So the combat, I think I might have mentioned this game, isn't very good. It's Mm -hmm. mostly kind of a, it's not really a hack and clash, it's a point and click kind of thing. Right. Fairly straightforward, kind of slow, not very particularly interesting, often very hard. Uh, Mm -hmm. Rats will kind of F you up in this game. Rats? Like R-A-T-S? Yeah, like rats. And I mean, there are some really like solid spells and everything, but it. A lot of people would say the combat is not this game's uh, strong point. Mm-hmm. And
1: Doesn't sound like it. Perhaps
0: it holds it back a little bit. And in fact, when you get to the final battle in Adia, uh, the final battle is mostly predicated on having a, dis- a discussion, a talk. Mm-hmm. And the reason this game works is because often just having a talk is kind of boring but the conversation is so intense and so interesting and so philosophical that it works right it's much more interesting than just fighting them you can fight them but it's a very anticlimactic fight
1: yeah that is interesting that actually um, wasn't the older fallout games a little bit like that too
0: Yes, uh, one of the final bosses, and I believe it's in the original Fallout. You you could get them, you could convince them to commit suicide.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: But in That's this one, it's much more of a philosophical con- conversation. And one of the main themes of Pillars of Etern- uh, Pillars of Eternity, Planescape <laughs> Torment, is what can change the nature of a man. And this game mm-hmm. actually does not make that a rhetorical question. Like they actually try to answer it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And interesting. Here's the, here's the exact quote in which this is the game's thesis, okay? I'm just going to read it to you. If there is anything I have learned in my travels across the plains, it is that many things may change the nature of a man, whether regret or love or revenge or fear. Whatever you believe can change the nature of a man, can. I've seen belief move cities, make men stave off death, and turn an evil hag's heart half-circle. The entire fortress has been constructed from belief, Belief damned a woman whose heart clung to the hope that another loved her when he did not. Once it made a man seek immortality and achieve it, and it has made a posturing spirit. think it is something more than a part of me.
1: I actually think I've seen that quote around, which goes to show that people still think about it. This game's really damn well written, I gotta say. I think so. Like, uh, from what I've seen of it, it's uh, definitely uh, a good read. Be- for lack of a better term. I believe the New York
0: Times review said something to the effect of it is a game that got gamers starting to cast about looking for literary comparisons. Because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it perhaps is one of the few games that really manages to rise above just kind of simple pulp or uh, you know, high fantasy. It Right. It really strives to examine a lot of really interesting kind of subjects, a lot of philosophical subjects about life, death, evil, good, uh, morality.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think the uh probably the most important thing is it succeeds, because a lot of games try to do that, but sometimes they just kind of disappear up their own ass.
0: I mean, this game disappears up its own ass a little bit, but it's also... Just a little. ...extremely intense. I mean, this is a game... In which a large part of the plot is bound up on figuring out what your name is, because you're, you're called the nameless one. <laughs> right. Right. And when you do find it, it's an incredibly intense scene when you learn your name finally. And is it George. It takes a lot, <laughs> George. It's simpler <laughs> than you think. Uh, oh, but when you find it out, most of the description, uh, most of the drama of the scene is in the text. Mm -hmm. just describing it the fact that it works is really impressive
1: yeah that is impressive especially since um there is still a very fantasy sort of thing about finding your own name because names carry a lot of power in a a lot of uh, fantasy books yes so
0: i find planescape torment extremely interesting obviously it holds up really well it has re- received a uh, updated remastered version, thanks uh, to Beamdog a few years ago.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, this
0: actually kind of annoyed the uh, the, the the fans a little bit. <laughs> really? Yeah, because they prefer they they were annoyed that the the price went up a lot from the enhanced version when oh. they felt that they could just you know play the original game but with some mods that improve the graphics and that kind of thing.
1: Well, yeah, but, you know, when you have remakes of that, it's just kind of a a, a question of bringing uh, bringing new people in who maybe they don't want to mess around with mods. Yes, shrug. (laughs) Shrug. So, looking at the kind of the best
0: moments, I I mean, I I think I talked about a couple of them. Uh, See, Heather Alexander Kotaku again highlighted a couple of the absolute best moments, including kind of figuring out your name. The ending is Mm -hmm. also really dark. Because a lot of it is finally embracing mortality, whatever that ends up looking at, and accepting that you're going to go to hell. Oh no! Yeah,
1: <laughs> no chance of uh, of heaven or redemption, eh?
0: No, not really. I mean, the final scene is you picking up a, a mace and slopping off to go fight the war between the devils and the demons, like uh, the one that you've been trying to avoid for so long,
1: right? oh that sucks and it's like you you fight the you fight this war and then you you get to slum around in hell forever that sucks
0: the best case scenario is that you get your wisdom high enough that Mm -hmm. you are able to look within yourself and finally put to put to bed multiple lifetimes worth of regret you know missed opportunities the whole the whole everything to be able to finally accept and embrace the thing that you've been running around away from for so long It's heady stuff, Nadia. It's very, very intense stuff, I gotta say. So why is this game number two on the top 25 RPG countdown list? Well, Planescape Torment, I think, really exemplified what RPGs were trying to do on the PC Mm -hmm. in the late 90s. And if I may compare it to another RPG of that era, which came out a couple years before, Final Fantasy VII. Final Fantasy VII... It's not as smart as Planescape Torment. It is a very, fairly pulpy manga kind of thing. But it's another yeah. game in which a character is trying to, I don't know, look within their true selves. It plays with the questions of identity uh, and things like that, right? And
1: Oh, yeah. The fact yeah, that we definitely... were in a
0: position where
1: writers felt like they could do that in a game, well, that was exciting. Yeah, um, it's always kind of fun to, to play a game where someone's uh, discovering their own identity. Like I said, I, I, I like the mystery element to it. But I also like just, you know, I like watching someone else trying to find who they are because it's always a, a, a an interesting thing to do throughout your life. I mean, most of us go through life without really finding out who the hell we are. I never did
0: like the scene, though, where Cloud is trying to bring all of their his different disparate personalities back together.
1: <laughs> I kind of like that one, though. That was actually... Um, just the whole the whole scene of, of Cloud in Medeal, um, in that wheelchair, that was a very, that was kind of a shocking scene to me. I know we're kind of just uh, going off the path here, but that was a very, that was a shocking scene to me where he was lost and then you find him and he's not in good shape and he's just basically totally lost within himself and you have to, have to help him put himself together because he's been living this lie for so long, not to mention he's been kind of uh, a living experiment for God knows how long. It's funny
0: because so many games are a case of show don't tell, right? Yes. Uh, a lot of people would say that interactivity is the height of everything. And you have a chance to do a lot of interactivity. There are a lot of interactive elements to Planescape Torment. It's not like it's a completely passive experience. But so right. much of the appeal of planescape torment is bound up in the really evocative text like the little yeah. passage that i just wrote, read to you right yeah and in that sense the fact that they can make that work is is fascinating and i, I think that's yeah. why it ultimately works better than final fantasy 7 for example because uh, final fantasy 7 well first of all it's held back by bad localization but it's also yeah, unfortunately it's also trying to present these things in kind of a visual way, and it doesn't doesn't always work. It like it, it can come off as somewhat cheesy, right? And yeah, yeah. in this game, you feel just reading a passage makes you sit back, want to sit back, and go, "Oh, dang!"
1: You know, the uh, morality uh, of uh, of uh, Planescape is uh, reminds me a little bit of a mobile game I reviewed way back in the day. Mm uh called king of dragon pass have you ever heard of that one Mm -mm. uh it is very much the kind of game where you don't know if you're making a right decision or a wrong decision because uh no matter what you do you're gonna fuck up somehow (laughs) it's like because it's basically uh there are like a million things you can do in this game it is also a very very wordy game uh it's more of of a visual novel i think than planescape but um you are a leader of a town and of a people, and uh, there are a million ways you could do this, and a million things you can do, but no matter what you do, it just seems like there's no way to make everyone happy. And I have to admire games like that, that don't have that, you know, on or off, yes or no question. There's just, uh existence is very, very complicated, and I like games that reflect that.
0: Existence is pain.
1: It really is. Existence is pain! <laughs>
0: I look at the the rest of this top 25 RPG countdown that we've done, you know, and there's so many interesting games that are worth remembering on this list, right? But mm-hmm. I look at a game like Final Fantasy V, and this isn't a dig at Final Fantasy V, it's just a really simple uh, adventure story it, right. that it, its main thing that makes really sets it apart is its job system. Or a game like NetHack, which is, is it's a dungeon crawler, uh, oh, yeah. or games like Tactics Ogre, or Witcher Three, which are in ways like political epics mixed with mm-hmm. uh, with romance, right? Yeah. Or Deus Ex, which is kind of like X Files with a bit of a paranoid bent. Uh, Kotor, it's friggin' Star Wars, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's Star
0: Warsy. y even a game like Sweekin Two, which has an excellent story and great villains. Super Pulp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Final Fantasy VI, you know, she, she's looking within herself. She's trying to answer all of these questions, but it's done in an extremely JRPG way, which is yes, very much a so. lot of a character kind of looking down sadly and going, who am I? Am I an yeah. Esper? So <laughs> The answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Perhaps what sets Planescape Torment apart is how effectively how much deeper it goes than all of these games in the way that it tackles to these extremely kind of heady subjects. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's number two on our top 25 RPG countdown, Planescape Torment, kind of in the end of an era, Nadia, because after Planescape Torment, uh, isometric RPGs sadly began to die. Black I- Interplay was having a lot of trouble, yeah black isle studios uh spun off into obsidian and obsidian kind of went in a different way rpgs themselves began to change and in the process of putting more emphasis on 3d graphics and Mm -hmm. everything it had left less room i think for really strong text-driven rpgs and i think that's too bad
1: yeah, they were definitely uh, falling more towards the the cinematic side. Mm. Uh, I mean, they were doing that with the PlayStation as well, but just the um, just the improved graphics. Uh, really, they based um, how do I explain this? I guess they were a little more a little more open ended. I guess with uh, the rise of the Elder Scrolls, uh, which was really to me is a, a very two thousand series.
0: Yeah, but those games were not necessarily looking within; they were looking kind of without. They were just yes. sort of, explore this cool, interesting world. And when I say cool and interesting, it's just a big, pretty sandbox, right?
1: Right, which is which is fine, but it's just the direction that RPGs took for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, isometric RPGs are only just... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Isometric RPGs, they are starting to get kind of a renaissance, though.
0: Even a game like Witcher 3 puts so much of a premium on set pieces and everything like that. Mm -hmm. and It's a really cool, excellent game, um, as as evidenced by the fact that it's number three on our list.
1: Yeah, not far behind. And
0: as Katie said, if you can't see the quality of that game, you're a dumbass, you can't be trusted.
1: (laughs) Did she say that? Of course she did.
0: Yeah, I love her. (laughs) But so much of that game is like it's political theater. It's political epic. It has yeah. really emotional scenes, but I don't know if it necessarily gets philosophical in the same way.
1: No, we do get to have sex on a unicorn.
0: Yes, you do get to have sex on a unicorn, and with that, <laughs> we
1: are we're
0: almost done, Nadia. This is it's almost over. We've added Planescape Torment to number two on our list, and next week is number one, and it's also. Number 200 in our top 25 RPG list. Woo!
1: We really lined that up really well. Or you did. Very good. I am so good. I'm so good at this. And this was all planned. Yeah, all we, from the we got a really neat uh,
0: little sequence of segments that we're going to tie into this and kind of blow it all out. And uh, if you're smart, you know it's going to be number one. Come on. It's not yeah, a I mean, mystery. It's, it's not hard. But let's leave it a mystery for one more week. Okay, Nadia, let's yes. go on to the mailbag. Okay, Nadia, last week we added The Witcher 3 to our top 25 RPG countdown. And a lot of people were very happy with this decision. Uh, Dracmalia says, The Witcher 3 is one of the best games ever made, truly. And you guys nailed explaining why that is. Hearts of Stone especially hits all the right notes for an RPG questline. It's funny, emotional, and fun to actually play part where Geralt is taken over by Olgierd's brother is comedy gold. <laughs> Definitely my favorite quest line in the game, but the rest of it is also so epic and well-developed. I also thought the combat got a bad rap from a lot of people. I had a great time experimenting with different strategies for each encounter. Excellent choice. BTW, Yennefer for life, she and Geralt were made for one another. I kind of agree. Yennefer is cool. She's a cool gal. Triss is uh, lawful good, I sort of. Nah. No, she has a little bit of a she has a little bit of a temper, but Yennefer is chaotic good. Uh, I'm all I'm all about the chaotic good. Uh I mentioned that I consider Witcher 3 the game of the generation. Mhm. Uh some people disagree. They said as far as the game of the generation goes, I think Witcher 3 probably takes it as you said. However, I'm a little surprised you didn't bring up Breath of the Wild. As I right. know of many, many people who would give it that title, and I usually see it either at It or Witcher 3 as getting the less top spot. The other popular choices are Red Dead 2, Bloodborne, and less commonly Persona 5 or Nier Automata. If an indie game had any chance of winning, I'd put a Hollow Knight on that list as well. But I know that basically not that's not going to happen. You're correct. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I'm just kidding. Um, oh, mm. If we're looking at an indie game for Game of the Generation, perhaps Undertale?
1: Yeah, um, I feel like Undertale is definitely up there. Uh, It just, uh, it's hard to describe Undertale, which I guess is a kind of makes it a hard sell. But it just changed a lot of things, I think, when people played that game.
0: I don't know if I necessarily consider Breath of the Wild uh, part of this console generation. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird thing, because Nintendo is on its own timeline.
1: Nintendo really is, d- does exist in its own parallel universe, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, the Nintendo Switch is going to still be around whenever the PS Five and the Xbox Two come out.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it'll be chugging along just happily. Yeah.
0: So, as for even so, even if we put Breath of the Wild into this particular console generation, I still think The Witcher Three is better because I love Breath of the Wild. It was a great game. I did not pick it as my game of the year that year. I picked Nier Automata mm-hmm. as my game of the year, and not only that, I. There's a point. I got to a point. I, I had an amazing time with Breath of the Wild, but there was a point when I was in the fourth and final version of the the dungeon, right, right. where you uh, where you go and you try and revive the the the, the machines and make them good again. I stepped right. into the final one, which was the one in the Gerudo Desert, and I looked around and I looked at the various boxes that need to be pushed about and everything, and I said, "Nah." No, I'm good. <laughs> I'm done. I, I think I am actually done, and I put it away you, and I uh, have it back. And did you
1: at least defeat Ganon? Because I mean, you can go and do that if you want. I mean,
0: if if I wanted, but I didn't really feel like it. Mm-hmm. I felt like I had gotten all of the all of the time I needed. And granted, I put like eighty hours into that game.
1: Yeah, it's a lot uh, a lot of exploring to do in that game. Heck
0: yeah. So I mean, I think Witcher Three because it has a better story.
1: Yeah, I haven't. Uh... I'm thinking Witcher 3 is going to be my next big game after I'm done with Red Dead. Yeah? I think so, yeah. Got to get it. Got to get it done. That's a lot of playing. I know. I know it is, uh, especially since uh, I'm really kind of taking my time on Red Dead too. So I should finish Witcher 3 by the time I'm eh, 80. So in the
0: previous show notes, uh, this was for Final Fantasy VI. It wasn't actually for show notes. It was for our Top 25 RPG Countdown write-up. Which, by the way, we do write-ups for every one of the games that are on this list. So you should go check those out. I'm, I'm going to eventually put them into a nice big hub so that you can have access to all of them. But somebody said that uh, I believe they compared Final Fantasy six as the kind of uh, high-quality rock group that isn't as well-known, and they called Final Fantasy VII Nirvana. (laughs) And they said, perhaps this more obscure rock group was better ultimately than Nirvana, but to have a top 25 RPG countdown that does not include Nirvana, or or in this Mm -hmm. case Final Fantasy VII, seems like an omission in their opinion. What do you think, Nadia?
1: Uh, can I tell you a secret? I never liked Nirvana.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this is what I'm going to say to that. I'm going to say that I'm trying to pick the best games. This is what, it, is what it's all about. That's why right, Final Fantasy right. V is on this list.
1: There you go, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: If I were going for popularity, I'd have friggin' and influence. I would
1: have Skyrim on this list. That's true. Yeah. Then we didn't. We had, um... Which one was it? Was it Morrowind, Morrowind. or was it uh, Obsid? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, Morrowind, Morrowind is not as popular as Skyrim. It's more beloved. It definitely isn't. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Like, I think I'm kind of trying to pick 25 RPGs that hold up extremely well. And I f- would feel pretty damn good about pointing people to, right? Like, yeah, We absolutely. just talked about Planescape Torment. And I would be like, yeah, play plate. Planescape Torment Hell it has an incredible story. It's one of the greatest RPG stories and ever one of the, one of the best game stories ever told. Mm-hmm. Uh, go for it. Same with Witcher 3, I would wholeheartedly recommend that one. Final Fantasy 6, right? I would re- yeah. I would recommend Final Fantasy 6 or Final Fantasy 7 10 times out of 10.
1: I I probably would too to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, first of and all, graphically
0: 7. it looks a lot better. Secondly, the the soundtrack's a lot better. Third of thirdly, yes. Uh, the story is a lot better.
1: Fourthly, <laughs> <laughs> I find the story for six is, uh, you know, even though I did enjoy the story for seven, I just find that the way it's told is, is a lot more complicated than it has to be. Six has a good story that's quite simple to follow.
0: Final Fantasy seven story. is just too messy.
1: It, it, it is quite messy. It, reg- it, it relies, relies on, on you to
0: strike out a lot on your own. To find, to kind of put the puzzles pieces together and try to figure out what the heck is going on, which makes it feel a bit less coherent than it possibly should. And even if you go out and say, watch the videos of the experiments that were happening to cloud, uh-huh. you're still not really, you're still going to have a hard time parsing everything. It relies perhaps a little too much on supplementary
1: material. It does, just quite a bit, actually. Yeah.
0: So. I mean, it took me years to figure out what the hell was going on in Final Fantasy VII.
1: Yeah, same with me. Um, I always forget, and then I, I play the game again, and I'm like, "Oh, okay, now I remember." And then I just totally forget as soon as I put down the game again. And then just just the fact that those poly- polygonal graphics don't hold
0: up super well. The the yeah. the, the battle system isn't actually that amazing. And it's okay. you look at the way that it handles. I mean, it just it wanted to be a graphical showcase for the time. And when you play it today, you see the seams for sure.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, but don't worry, the, the remake will fix all of that. I also
0: like the cast in Final Fantasy VI a lot better.
1: I think I do as well. And its uh, I like that the, the cast in VI is a lot bigger too. And
0: they pointed out that I had said that I once considered Final Fantasy VII the best game ever made. I was also in high school. I thought a lot of things were the best. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Did you say that? Yeah. no,
0: when I was in high school, I totally thought Final Fantasy VII. Well, was everyone the best thought
1: game. it was the best like game ever when they were in high school. Yeah, so it was, it was friggin' two thousand. I was like, that that game had legitimately
0: blown my mind at that time. Because yeah. I mean, I'm not going to discount the impact that it made at the time. There's a reason that it's still so beloved. I just yeah. when it comes down to it, I think that it's kind of a middle of the pack RPG. Uh, it's a kind of a middle pack Final Fantasy. I I think I Final still... Fantasy five and six and nine. Possibly 10, all, and certainly 12. They're all better than 7.
1: I still consider 7 one of my favorite ones, but that's just me.
0: I have fond memories of it. I, I, it will always have kind of a special place in my heart, but I think there's just way better games. It is the yeah. most popular. But this isn't a totally slag on Final Fantasy Seven. I totally respect his legacy. It's just that uh, when I was looking at this list, I, was, I wasn't going to put it on it. So there you go. Axel out is the U.S. Gamer Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Subscribe to our newsletter. Follow me on Twitter at the underscore cap and Nadia at Nadia Oxford. We're going to be at PAX East next week. If you disagree Ooh. with my Final Fantasy Seven take or my Mass Effect take or whatever, come yell at me. I've had a lot of hot takes in this episode. <laughs> I bet and I'm going to get some interesting in comments in this episode. It's because I'm extremely loopy still from GDC. I'm actually kind of falling asleep at my keyboard this week, so... If it's be- if it seems like I have completely insane opinions, that's why I'm like completely unfiltered right now.
1: Cat, we are like just cat unplugged right now. I
0: spent the entire week, like every single night, I was out drinking pretty late.
1: Well, yeah, that's what tends to happen at these things.
0: Yeah, so I am just feeling extremely loopy. So I apologize, but I hope I gave you an ent- entertaining and mildly coherent hour of podcast listening. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It was definitely coherent, at least from my end, but I'm biased.
0: Nadia, thanks for being an emergency fill-in on the Planescape Torment uh, conversation.
1: Anytime, um, I do my best. It is definitely a game I aim to try, uh, especially since it has a remake, unlike many of the games in this uh, in this uh, list. I think that you should play all twenty-five of these games, Nadia. It should be your project. Oh yeah. Okay, this is my new
0: <laughs> this is my new homework. Yeah, your new homework. I mean. I mean, that's a lot of material for the the uh, the for the report system. And we're almost out of top 25 RPGs to talk about. So I mean, we've got to have some kind of new project. By the way, if you have a project that you want to suggest, I will totally take your idea and steal it for my own. So leave them in the comments.
1: <laughs> yes. Please, please give us something to steal. We appreciate it. Okay, Nadia,
0: we'll be back next week. And uh, for number 200 on the... In the Acts of the Blood God, uh, man, 200 episodes. So amazing. But okay, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. And until then, happy adventuring.